Hi, Tony G Nation. It's your host, Tony G here. No Will McCormick again today, so it's going to be another solo show. These solo shows have been quite common as of late, and I'm not opposed to them. You know, we like having Will around, of course. You know, he's intimate part of the show. But like I said, you know, I'm huge into the broadcasting thing, so going solo isn't something I'm afraid of. It's something I welcome doing. I like the experience of doing it, and it has a bit of a, a more of a one-on-one feel. You know, with Tony G and Tony G Nation. So it's good to be here uh, talking to Tony G Nation for this 14th episode of Season 8. Thursday's show is going to be the 15th episode, and it should be. It should be. It's not, but it should be an episode where we would preview the MLB season for 2022. But of course, with the lockout and everything that happened in the offseason over the winter, we're not ready to talk baseball yet. That's We're not at that point just just yet. I mean, we still have basketball to discuss and we're going to have to push off baseball until next week because there is no point to talk about it this week as baseball season doesn't begin just yet. So of course that lockout pushing things back, the start of the season back, as well as the episode where we usually talk about the upcoming season with Major League Baseball. That'll be pushed back to next week. So Will should be back on Thursday. It should be regular schedule. I mean, we're back on track. It's going to be the 31st of March when we come back on Thursday, which is just nuts that March will be over after that day. Then that Friday is April Fool's Day. So yeah, season eight winding down the school year here at St. Norbert College that we're on uh, winding down as well. Time just flying by. So let's get into today's show. I want to start off by addressing something I saw on Sunday. It's not sports related, but the whole world is talking about it. And I feel like I want to just, I want to throw in my two cents somewhere. And so it's going to be here on my podcast. Before we get into the sports material, briefly, we're going to talk about this. Two, two minutes tops. The whole Chris Rock and Will Smith thing at the Oscars on Sunday. You know, Chris Rock said a joke. You know, he's roasting celebrities left and right. And then he roasts Jada Pinkett Smith who has alopecia, a condition where she can't grow hair. Will Smith takes offense to that, I think. I mean, he laughed about the joke. The camera panned to them. After Chris Rock said the joke, Will Smith was laughing. Jada Pinkett Smith didn't look too funny. Didn't look like she enjoyed that joke a whole lot. So the camera pans back to Chris Rock. He's just going to continue doing what he's going to do. He introduces an award for some sort of documentary. And then Will Smith walks on stage, slaps Chris Rock, Across the like open hand slaps him across the face, gets off the stage and starts shouting to Chris Rock to keep his wife's name out of his expletive mouth. Twice he says that. And Chris Rock is just stunned, says, Wow, dude. And Chris Will Smith is like, Yeah. I I couldn't believe what I saw. The first time that I saw that, it was like, oh my god, these are two respected comedians and actors. And celebrities that I have had a lot of respect for have gotten a lot of their material and the work that they've done that I have seen. So I have a lot of respect for these two guys. They just bought Will Smith's book when it came out. So, I mean, I have I, I cannot believe that these two guys were that had this altercation. I just want to say, before we get into the sports material, I think I'm officially Team Chris Rock. I, I You know, I've always been pro-joke, which means to me that I always vote in favor of giving comedians the space to make jokes and not have repercussions for it because it's a joke. They don't mean it. They make light of situations that could be dark. You know, sometimes they get really bad and really, you know, the serious stuff and material, but it's a joke. You know, I'm pro giving them the space to do that. And I think 
if I were to go against that in this case, that would be going against what I have said about being pro-joke. So I'm Team Chris Rock here on this side. They both issued apologies, and I guess they're going to move on. But I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I imagine at the next Oscars they're going to reunite, you know, handshake or something like that, and we're all going to applaud. But it really took away a lot from that night and what the Oscars means, what it's supposed to celebrate in terms of the entertainment and film industry. And Will Smith, 10 minutes later, got an award for being like the best actor or whatever. And he took away from that moment with this, with this altercation that he had with Chris Rock. So I just wanted to throw my two cents in there and say, you know, this would have been a funner discussion with Will here. We could have gotten a little back and forth action. But to me, I... I do not condone Will Smith's actions at all. I respect the fact that he's standing up for his wife and his family, but, dude, you couldn't have done that backstage. You couldn't have met Chris Rock in the after party and said, hey, we didn't like that joke. Um, I'd like for you to apologize to me and my wife and my family. I'd like you to make some sort of public statement about a joke you said. I didn't, you know, it just could have been handled a certain way instead of what actually happened. So what actually happened, I lost a lot of respect for Will Smith. I get these standing up for his family and his wife, and that's something that, you know, you're supposed to do, and I completely get that and respect that. But the manner he did it on the level, you know, on the stage that it was, it's the Oscars. The whole world saw that moment. Lost a lot of respect for Will Smith. Lost a lot of respect for him and how he handled that. You know, I guess, I guess, you know, it was a rough joke. It was a bad joke, but we're going to leave it there. I just wanted to put my two cents on it because I had the platform to do it with the Tony G show. So now we're going to get into sports stuff. Sorry I had to do that if you're not big into celebrities and stuff like that. That's just always, I'm a huge fan of movies and TV and film, the film industry in general. So I follow celebrities. Just something I wanted to touch on before we get into the sports. So here we go with today's show. We're going to talk Matt Ryan. And I don't think this is the right move for the Indianapolis Colts. I really do not believe that. I think this is the wrong move for the Colts to make. There is so many different ways they could have gone and going with Matt Ryan to be their next quarterback. I'll talk about why I don't agree with that. Then the second segment, an unfortunate recap of the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8. And then I'm going to predict the national championship, the Final Four national championship. I say unfortunate because if you remember last Thursday's show, that was ahead of the Sweet 16 and Elite 8, which took place last weekend, Thursday through Sunday. And... I bombed it. All right, I'll be honest. <laughs> I'll be honest. I completely bombed it. I had like three right out of the 20-some games that were played. Maybe 20-some is a little heavy, but you get what I'm saying. I was like maybe 15% correct. So it was a rough show. It was a rough showing for me in predicting college basketball last weekend, and I'm going to try to do it again. Why would I stop, right? Why would I stop? Just call it quits? No, that's not how I roll. So we're going to predict the Final Four and the National Championship in today's episode, I figured I might as well do it now and not wait till Thursday because, you know, we're talking college basketball, so we'll just get it out of the way here. I'll probably remind you of that on Thursday's show because I know you're so into my predictions is how good I am at it. But the 2024 NFL draft location is not going to be in Green Bay. I'll talk about that in the third segment and what it really means for Green Bay that they're not getting the draft. The fact that they put a bid in, the fact that they were interested in this position and then didn't get it, but what does that mean for Green Bay? The fact that they even bid for this spot and said when they were a finalist, they were a, fi- a top three finalist, what does this mean moving forward for the city of Green Bay and the state of Wisconsin with the involvement with the Packers and the level of events that they can hold? So that's what we're going to talk today, Matt Ryan and the Colts, recapping my predictions in college basketball and then making more predictions because why would I stop? And then talking about the 2024 NFL draft location and possible future draft locations. 
That's segment three. That's our show today. Let's get into it. We'll miss Will McCormick, but have a good discussion nonetheless. We'll welcome him back on Thursday. Today's episode of the Tony G Show is going to be available wherever you get your podcast under the Tony G Show or at TonyGNation.com. Catch all the work that I do there. Follow me on Twitter at TonyGNation as well. On Instagram at Tony Giordano. Just had a big post on social media, all my social medias yesterday about the SNC Talks video, advertising the video, and the message that I tried to spread within that. So check out everything. We've had a long enough intro. Let's get into today's show. Season 8, Episode 14 of The Tony G Show. You are listening to the 8th and final season of The Tony G Show. 8 seasons of laughs, memories, and sports are coming to an end. Follow the show on Twitter at Willis5312 and at Tony G Nation. Check out more from Tony G at TonyGNation.com. Now, along with Will McCormick, here's your host, Tony G. So the Colts think they can fulfill some of their issues, if they even have some. Well, I guess they do have some. We'll get into that. They think they can fulfill some of their issues and their problems and their holes on their team with Matt Ryan. Interesting. I find that move interesting with some of the quarterbacks that were on the market or were searching for new deals or searching for new teams this year in this offseason. I find it interesting that the Indianapolis Colts went with Matt Ryan, of all people. Got rid of Carson Wentz, shipped him off to the Commanders. I almost called them the Commodores. I guess it shows you how entertained I am by their new name, the Washington Commanders. Former Redskins, former Washington football team, now Commanders. Don't like the Commander name, but that's besides the point. Back to the Colts here. The Atlanta Falcons traded their longtime quarterback, former MVP quarterback, former Super Bowl playing quarterback, didn't win a Super Bowl, lost that Super Bowl to the Patriots, but traded Matt Ryan, their franchise quarterback of 14 years, to the Indianapolis Colts. And what they got back, we'll just talk about this for a second and then get into the Colts situation. What the Falcons got back, to me, is like a shoebox. Like, that was it. Like, that's all they got in exchange for Matt Ryan. They picked up a third-round pick in this year's draft. You know, the, the, the argument I'm about to have here is that I don't think Matt Ryan is that good of a quarterback anymore. I think he's kind of washed. He's hit that phase where he's just not MVP caliber anymore. I mean, he was. The year he won the MVP, threw almost 40 touchdowns, had under 10 interceptions. I mean, he doesn't – that was a great level to play at, especially at this level of football being the NFL. Matt Ryan doesn't play at that anymore, and I get that. But a third rounder, That's and that's it too. I mean, it wasn't like a a first rounder next year or something like that. I thought – I think at minimum, you have to ask for at least a second-round pick. But I guess I see why. Doing the homework, Tony G does his homework on Matt Ryan the last couple of seasons. I guess I see why. But still, I mean, just the name Matt Ryan should carry that much more weight than a third-round pick. A third-round pick? I don't know about that. I think that's a little light. I think the Falcons... I think the Falcons parted with Matt Ryan for just too little. I, I, I'm making, you know, it's an interesting contrast here because I'm not big on Matt Ryan. I never really have been even after the MVP year, but, you know, the numbers are the numbers, and he's been a good quarterback, a borderline elite-level quarterback for some years of his career. So just the name Matt Ryan you would think would carry that much more weight to get more than a third-round pick for this year's draft, but I guess that's all the Falcons really wanted out of this. 
Ryan, Matt Ryan, the quarterback for the Falcons for the last 14 seasons. Here's my argument against him being the savior for the Colts. And I think the Colts know that he's not going to be the guy. And I'm not saying the Colts think they're going to, they found their next quarterback for the next five seasons. I'm not saying the Colts are going to ride him to a Super Bowl in two years, three years, you know, extend his contract. I get he's at the end of his chain here. You know, his exit is coming up pretty quickly off the highway, if you know what I mean. I mean, he's close to retirement. He's 36 years old. He doesn't play at the Tom Brady level or the Aaron Rodgers level where it makes sense for these guys to play into their 40s. So Matt Ryan's exit is coming up pretty quick. But in the situation of what this offseason was for the NFL, how crazy it was and how unpredictable it was, the Colts could have went and gotten anybody. They could have kept Carson Wentz, didn't want to, parted ways with him, and they could have gotten anybody. I'll throw out a couple names here that I have later in the show script that I got in my show plan. So we'll get to that in a second. But again, I'm Matt Ryan. He reportedly denied this new contract from Atlanta and wanted out. He has two years left on the deal that is being assumed by the Indianapolis Colts. So there's only two years left, and that's what I was alluding to in the Colts. I know the Colts aren't going to extend him past this, or at least they shouldn't. But that's the situation for Matt Ryan moving forward. So here's my argument. This is not what the Colts needed to shore up this quarterback issue that the Colts have had ever since Andrew Luck left the organization and retired because he felt like he was getting too beat up. And, you know, of course, that's a valuable argument to make. That's, of course, an understandable reason to step away. But it left the Colts with this hole at the quarterback position. I mean, you don't draft a quarterback and assume he's going to step aside. You know, you extend him and give him, you know, you have some minor success with him. You get to some playoff runs and you think you got him for the next 10 years. You give him a contract, you pay him, and then all of a sudden he retires up and out of nowhere. I mean, he did it in the preseason as well. So, of course, this is, you know, the point I'm making is that the Colts did not see that coming. There was no way that you could have possibly, you know, saw that coming and planned for it. So they've had this quarterback hole for the last couple of years. And here's what the Colts have done. Since Andrew Luck retired, it was about four years ago, they went Jacoby Brissett, they went to Phillip Rivers, they went to Carson Wentz, and now they're on Matt Ryan. In order, that was their quarterback situation year after year after year and now after year. The key to winning in the NFL, Will and I talk about it all the time, you can win with an average quarterback. I mean, in the last year of Phillip Rivers' career, the Indianapolis Colts went 11-5 and five and made the playoffs. So you can win with average quarterback play. You don't have to have MVP Aaron Rodgers, back-to-back MVP Aaron Rodgers on your team. You don't have to have Tom Brady, seven-time Super Bowl champion, to win. You don't have to. That's just not the case. But if you want to rebuild an organization, if you want to start implementing a winning culture, you know, Andrew Luck left in Frank Reich's first year. So Frank Reich never really had an opportunity to build with a quarterback. And what do the Colts continue to do for him? They don't get him a quarterback to build off of. They continue to replace Andrew Luck with washed quarterback after washed quarterback after washed quarterback. And it's it's not working. Like, this is not going to end in a championship. If the goal every year, heading into every season for every NFL team, is to win a championship – you feel like, you know, you want to feel like you did your best in the offseason to prepare for this season where the goal is to win a championship. I don't think the Colts have adequately done that. I do not feel that these quarterbacks, these washed quarterbacks, these old quarterbacks, these quarterbacks who are unproven 
and have very little to no accolades besides the fact that they got drafted high or the fact that they had success with old teams. I feel like this is kind of, you know, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And it feels like that's what the Colts are doing. They're, they're just kind of spiraling in this hole. I have some numbers. Tony G does his homework. So I have some numbers to back up this argument. Washed quarterbacks or unproven quarterbacks. Let's go to Jacoby Brissett first. When he was the quarterback in Indianapolis, that one season that he was, and, you know, a lot of people bit into him, into the Jacoby Brissett bug because they thought this is the guy who played under Tom Brady, under Bill Belichick in New England, and got to start there. This guy, you know, if he gets an opportunity to run an offense, it's going to be a successful team. So the Colts rely on Jacoby Brissett. I think they gave him a lot of money. I didn't look into the concept, uh, contract situation heading into this episode, but I think they gave him a lot of money, if I'm recalling correctly. And what did Jacoby Brissett do at the helm for the Colts? The year that he was there, they had the 25th ranked offense out of 32 teams in the NFL. Did not work for Jacoby Brissett in Indianapolis. It did not work. So what did they do? They moved on from him. Probably the right move. I did, you know, it wasn't like Jacoby Brissett's play was so terrible that they weren't ever going to win. But it was obvious that it wasn't going to be the quarterback in the situation with Indianapolis. So what did they do? They went and got Phillip Rivers, who left San Diego, then Los Angeles Chargers after a long career with them. And Phillip Rivers played in the last year of his career, didn't bring anything special to the table. You know, it wasn't like he was he, – he was kind of the turnover machine – uh, for a couple weeks there, that season that he was in Indianapolis to end his career. But it just didn't seem like he was the guy to really jive uh, that that team, the Colts roster. So looking at that situation, that wasn't going to be something that you can build off of if you're Frank Reich. You know, you go to Jacoby Brissett, Phillip Rivers, and then they get Carson Wentz, a trade who I, I wasn't a big fan of at the time. But then looking into it and understanding different facets of that trade, I loved it. Carson Wentz, the guy who was the MVP caliber quarterback before he tore his ACL the year the Eagles won that Super Bowl over New England. Offensive coordinator was Frank Reich under Doug Peterson. Frank Reich then becomes the head coach of the Colts, has these first two quarterbacks after Luck retires, and then gets Carson Wentz. So I'm thinking, okay, this is finally the guy that Frank Reich is going to be able to build with in Indianapolis. right? This is the guy who... Reich and Wentz had that great relationship in Philadelphia. Who says it's not going to work out this year in Indianapolis? Wentz played okay. I mean, he didn't have a terrible season, but again, he had that turnover bug, and he always has, even in his Philly days. I mean, the guy cannot protect the football. It's not just throwing interceptions, but it's also fumbling the football. It's also not having that pocket awareness that you need in the NFL because the pocket can collapse so quickly with today's pass rushers that you need to feel when someone's on your backside and ready to slap that football away from you. And Carson Wentz does not have that instinct. He just does not. I mean, it just sneaks up on him, and he fumbles the football a lot. It's not like he, like I said, it's not like he throws all these interceptions. Although the interception bug is kind of what got him in one of those weeks last year. It was week 18. It's a must win for the Indianapolis Colts in Jacksonville, where they're playing the Jaguars. Colts win, they're into the playoffs. Boom, you've done what you've had to do. You've controlled your destiny to this point and gotten yourself a chance to play for a ring. If they win in Jacksonville. A team that, let's face it, has had a, their fair share of struggles last year with the whole Urban Meyer situation, with the whole Trevor Lawrence really, you want to talk turnover bug, 
Talk about Trevor Lawrence in his first year. You want to talk interception bug. That was Trevor Lawrence last year. So you're thinking this isn't, you know, this, what are the odds that Jacksonville knocks off playoff hopeful Indianapolis in week 18? Well, not only did they just beat Indianapolis, they thrashed them. Carson Wentz in that game where the Colts lost to Jacksonville took six sacks. Again, I'm just, I, what did I just say? The pocket presence, the pocket awareness that Carson Wentz has failed to have year after year in his career. Took six sacks and turned the ball over multiple times in a 26-11 thrashing in Jacksonville, a game where they win and they're in the playoffs. They lose and they're out. And they have a showing like that. So, Indianapolis introspects after that loss an early end to an offseason where I thought, and I said it last year on the Tony G Show, there was a couple games that I watched at the latter half of the 2021-2022 NFL season, and I thought, if the Colts get into the playoffs, this is a dangerous team. I like their defense. I think Carson Wentz has what it takes to play in a playoff atmosphere, whether on the road or at home. I think that the Colts are a really dangerous team if they get in. If they get in, this is a slept-on team in the AFC. And then they lose this game. They don't get in. Indianapolis Colts have to reconsider what they're going to do, and they ship him off to Washington. He's now a commander. So the Colts are sat here with this no-quarterback situation. Andrew Luck is retired, and they're still spiraling out of control. Jacoby Brissett. Didn't work. Phillip Rivers didn't work. Carson Wentz has not worked. So let's move on and try to find someone who's going to make this work. So what do they do? They go and get the 36-year-old Matt Ryan, who has combined to throw 37 interceptions in the last three seasons. And he has been the quarterback of a team that has not finished over 500 since 2017. Now I want to clarify, that's not all Ryan's fault. I get that. It's not, you know, it's not a quarterback sport. But at the same time, are you bringing in a winner? Is that really what you're doing? You know, if you, like I said, like I said at the, at the start of this argument, if every team, all 32 teams in the NFL come into an NFL season with the goal of winning a championship, they have to feel like they did what it took in the offseason to get themselves to that position. Offseason's not over. I get that. But at the same time, I don't feel like the Colts can head into next season feeling good about this Matt Ryan pickup that they have at quarterback now. I really do not think this is the <laughs> this. You're not bringing in a winner, a guy who's been to a Super Bowl. Yeah, he lost it. I'm not saying that's not that's that's why he's not a winner, but a guy who hasn't had a winning season since 2017, a guy who's thrown 37 interceptions. He's thrown over 20 touchdowns in these last three seasons, but has turned the ball over so much that it's almost like you're bringing in a better Carson Wentz. I mean, I, I'm almost willing in the sake, in the context of this discussion, I'm almost willing to call Carson Wentz a poor man's Matt Ryan. Guys who have dealt with some injuries over the course of their career. Guys who have dealt with losing. Guys who have dealt with winning. Guys who have dealt with turnovers. Guys who have dealt with good tools around them. And I feel, like, I feel like you upgraded from Carson Wentz to a better Carson Wentz. I'm willing to say that. At this, at this stage of Matt Ryan's career, that's what you did. 
So what am I what am I saying here? If you're if if I'm roasting the Colts, if I am if I am shaming the Colts for picking up Matt Ryan and thinking that this is going to be the answer to their problems after seasons of questionable quarterback play after Andrew Luck has left, what what should I make my argument for that I think the Colts should be doing? Let me phrase it by this. What do the Colts need? They need a franchise quarterback. That's obvious. Every team does. And at this stage of the Colts franchise, they need someone to hang their hat on. It wasn't Jacoby Brissett. It wasn't going to be Phillip Rivers in the back end of his career. It was not Carson Wentz, who I thought could have built something with the Colts and Frank Reich. That's not the case. So what do they do? They go pick up 36-year-old Matt Ryan. Not someone you're going to hang your hat on for the next 5 to 10 years. And you need that. You desperately need that if you're Indianapolis. Like I said, they need that franchise quarterback. They're probably not going to get it this year, though. They have seven draft picks heading into this draft year, starting with the 42nd overall. Not to mention that it's not a very quarterback-heavy draft. You know, best three available, guys like Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh, Matt Corral out of Old Miss, Malik Willis out of Liberty has gotten a lot of attention. But those are guys that probably, probably are not going to be available at that 42nd overall pick. And even if it is, you know, what do the Colts need here? What, what do you think that they should add if it's not going to be quarterback? You could always use defense. They have a good offensive line. Maybe pick up another wide receiver because it's a wide receiver heavy draft. But even at that, I don't know that the Colts would trade up into that first round. They don't, Like I said, they only have the seven picks. They'd have to sacrifice a few to get up there to get a Kenny Pickett or a Matt Corral. But even at that, I don't necessarily see them making those moves. So if your answers aren't in the draft, what else should they have done? Here's what I think should have been the situation. It's a tough situation to be in if you're the Colts. You know, it's a really kind of back against the wall. There's not many options if it's not a quarterback-heavy draft. You know, it's like, so you got to make a blockbuster trade or you have to sign some big free agent. Like I said, I think they were a little passive in the Deshaun Watson discussions, I knew that Deshaun, I think everybody knew Deshaun Watson wanted to get traded somewhere where he's going to be the quarterback for the next five years and somewhere where he's going to get paid for the next five or so years, and that's what he got in Cleveland. But I think that would have worked in Indianapolis. Or someone, you know, they were never inquired about Russell Wilson. There was never anything like that. They never made strides to move up in the draft so far. They haven't made, haven't gone in on some free agent that's out there. You know, even Jimmy Garoppolo is a name that's been thrown around. And the 49ers, uh, a report just yesterday shows that John Lynch, the GM, is pretty content on hanging on to Jimmy Garoppolo. So it looks like that's going to be the quarterback situation in San Francisco. But it's like, you know, do something. And then when I said that, when I made this show plan, I thought, well, they only have seven draft picks. I mean, this was the best that they could. They only had eight before the Matt Ryan trade when they gave a third rounder up. But even then, it's like they don't have any draft picks to go make these moves. You know, I don't think they're swimming in money to go give Deshaun Watson 230 guaranteed dollars. So it's kind of a tough situation for the Colts to be in. But I really do not think that the answer here is, is Matt Ryan. I think you had to tr- you have to trade a piece or a couple draft picks to move up in this draft. Hit your wagon to someone like Kenny Pickett, who is my favorite quarterback coming out of the draft out of Pitt. Love him. Think he's got good style of play. Think he's very mobile, very agile. Not to mention a good arm. All things that will play in today's NFL. 
So that's what I think needed to happen for the Colts. Again, I don't know that they had the money. I don't know that they had the draft picks to really make a big splash for Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, but you have to do something. I mean, you ever seen the movie Draft Day? Kevin Costner, Draft Day, I think it was like 2016. That was a dramatic portrayal of what an NFL organization or a franchise goes goes through on draft day. But it's almost like you have to do that. You have to get in that mindset and get ready to wheel and deal some of your players and some of your assets to move up in the draft or to make out make these big splashes and get you know, it feels like the Colts need something to to really electrocute them, you know, something to really shock them into forward here. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like they they're just kind of sitting here idle season after season making passive move, passive move, passive move, and it's a team that's close. I mean, there's not they're not far. They're not the Jacksonville Jaguars who they lost to in week 18 as I mentioned before. They're a close team. I really think last year if they got into the playoffs, they could have made a run at an AFC Championship game. You know how how good of a game would have a Colts Bengals matchup have been. I mean, that would have been a great game. I really think that the Colts are that good of a team. They're close. They're very close to making a deep run. They just need a better quarterback. I don't know that Matt Ryan is the guy to do that. Colts are in a tough spot. Colts are just in a tough spot right now, and it's something that I think should get shored up, needs to get shored up if the Colts want to compete moving forward. Now, with that being said, I still think Matt Ryan is somewhat capable of putting together a winning team. I don't think he's a winner. I don't know that it's going to be a team that's going to shock the world and you know, go 13-4 and four or some crazy record like that. They're probably going to finish only seven draft picks. They're probably going to finish equal to what they just did. You know, They finished, what, 9-8? and eight? I think they're probably going to go 8-9, and nine, maybe 9-8, nine and eight, maybe 10-7 and seven, high end. That's, that's, to me, that's the ceiling of the Colts. At this point, the ceiling is a wild card getting into wild card and maybe winning it, maybe divisional round, but I think their true ceiling is probably wild card round if they get there. That's probably their ceiling with the roster they have now. I don't think they shored up many of the problems that they have, especially at the quarterback position in their offense. So with that being said, we'll close this argument on Matt Ryan and the Colts. Let me know what you think. Reach out to the Tony G Show any way you can and, and let me get your thoughts. But with that, we will move on in today's Tony G Show. And by move on, I mean moving on to segment number two where we have to unfortunately recap the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 predictions that were made on this very podcast just last Thursday. Of those games, Sweet 16, Elite 8, looking through the notes that I have here, four games right. Four. At one point throughout the weekend, I think it was Friday, the first day of games. Oh, no, there was Thursday. So Friday, I tweeted out, ignore this because I – tweeted out Thursday's episode on Thursday, and I advertised that we made picks. We predicted the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, and I had to make humor of it. It was another way to advertise Thursday's episode, but I quote tweeted it on Friday, and I said, ignore the second segment and just go right for the football stuff, or the first segment, because we did it in the first segment. So ignore the basketball segment, just go to the football stuff, because it was just rough. I mean, watching these games, it was rough, not just in these predictions, but the bracket that I had made, I had maxed out on Friday. Right, like the max amount of points I had already reached that because my champion Texas Tech lost. The team that they were gonna beat, Arizona, in the championship lost on Thursday. So a whole lot of things wrong. Let's go through game by game. Gotta throw a lot of games, a lot of numbers at you, but we'll do it in a manner that you can understand. We'll start in the West. In the Sweet Sixteen predicted number one Gonzaga versus number four Arkansas. 
Prediction, Gonzaga to the Elite Eight. The actual result, Arkansas 74-68. In the West, number three, Texas Tech, my champion, my national champion in my bracket, beats number two, Duke. No. The actual, Duke beat Texas Tech by 578-73. In the East, North Carolina going on this unprecedented run, knocking off number four, UCLA. I predicted that because of the momentum that they had, and they did win 73-66. Also in the East, number three, Purdue. Number 15, St. Peter's. I said, here's where St. Peter's run, magical run, comes to an end against Purdue, who has a chance to represent not only the Big Ten, but not only the East. I mean, they have a chance to go to the Elite Eight, possibly the Final Four. No. St. Peter's continues the magical run, advances to the Elite Eight, 67-64 over Purdue, the Boilermakers. In the South, number one, Arizona, my national championship losing team. Number five, Houston. Said prediction is going to be Arizona. But I also said, I said, you can go back and listen to it on Thursday. I also said, wouldn't be surprised if Houston knocks off Arizona because Houston's a good a good uh, team, the Houston Cougars. Houston did win 72-60, but the prediction's still wrong. Also in the South, Villanova number two, knocking off number 11, Michigan. I predicted that, 63-55. So two right so far out of the four, four games out of the Midwest, or excuse me, six games can't count here out of the midwest number one kansas and number four providence said kansas would win number 10 miami iowa state said miami would win i got those two correct so that's the elite that's the sweet 16 moving on to the elite eight again kind of doing this quickly so we can get right to the predictions of the final four in the elite eight duke beat arkansas 78 69 north carolina beat st peter's 69 49 by 20 magical st peter's runs run comes to an end Villanova knocks off Houston 50 to 44 and Kansas steamrolled Miami 76 to 50. That game was never really close. In the final four, this is our matchup. This is what we have set. This is moving forward. Number two, Villanova versus number one, Arkansas. Let's predict this game, even though I didn't get much of my last predictions or any predictions of this tournament bracket correct because it's been such a wild one and you love to see that with March Madness. But let's keep going because why not? It's the Tony G show. You know, you can take my picks to the bank, except recently. But moving forward, here's what's going to happen. Number two, Villanova. Number one, Kansas. Kansas is red hot and rolling right now. They look like the best shooting team that's possibly remaining in these final four, maybe besides Duke. I think Duke is really hot right now, but I think Kansas is just the purest team that remains. And I say Kansas is going to advance to a national championship. Keep that in mind for this next pick, North Carolina, Duke, if what I say is correct, Kansas is going to win. Who's going to? Who are they going to play? Carolina, North Carolina, Duke. I love this rivalry. This is the game where UNC, uh, North Carolina, the Tar Heels spoiled Coach K's final game at Cameron Stadium for Duke. And you know this whole thing with Duke and the fact that they're on this improbable run after not having the easiest season, not having you know kind of having an up and down season. Mike Shashevsky's final year, he kind of wants to go out on a on a high note. Who doesn't? So it makes sense that Duke goes on this improbable run. It makes sense that it comes down to this Final Four game between this storied, storied rivalry between North Carolina and Duke. I say with the role that Duke is on, Duke advances to a national championship to play Kansas. Duke, Kansas is what I have. I can see all four of these teams going to the national championship because they're teams that have been there before. They're teams who have won a national championship before. They're storied programs. They're proven programs with great coaching all around, great talent into this year in this Final Four. So I wouldn't be surprised if any outcome 
were to occur for the national championship. But if it happens the way that I say it's going to happen, and you can take my picks to the bank, the Kansas Jayhawks will play the Duke Blue Devils. Kansas is the better team, I think, has been all season. They've had great showings in the tournament. Like I said, they're a very pure team, and I think the most pure team left remaining. But Duke is on this Nash is, is on this magical run with Coach K in his final year. He wants to call it quits. I I can see Duke winning this national championship. And it's gonna happen next Monday, so we won't have a chance to make Predictions for the national championship after the final four, so that's why we have to do all of them now. But my national champion is Duke. Like it or not, the team that knocked off Wisconsin a few years ago, a team that has won national championships, you know, like Mike Krzyzewski or not for this final year, guy is a proven winner at the head coach position, at the at this helm for the Duke basketball team, and I think they're going to win another national championship. Those are my predictions. Let's have a little discussion here about Mike Shashevsky. We've got the time to do it. A lot of people, he, he's caught a lot of flack that I've seen on Twitter or in the basketball world for just the way he carries himself and the, and the way he wins, I guess. I've always had respect for him, even though he's knocked off Wisconsin. And again, the Tony G shows in the Wisconsin market. But you have to respect Mike Shashevsky for the way that he has won, for how much he has won. You know, people love what they can have, people hate what they. What the people hate the success that other people have. It's hard for me to find negativity in Mike Shashevsky going out on to, you know, it's, it's, he's a winner. What do you want from him? Maybe he's not the most well-rounded guy. You know, he's had, he's had some issues in the past with other teams or other players. You know, there was a player against Oregon he had an altercation with, but it's like, you know, nobody is perfect. Nobody is this crystal clear cut person or, athletic presence of a person. No one's is this perfect entity, especially in sports. But the guy is a winner. The guy is a proven winner, and the guy has a chance to win another national championship. This is like his 13th Final Four or something like that. It's just ridiculous. And, you know, when Duke lost against North Carolina, again, the last game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, Duke wanted to win for Mike Krzyzewski, send him out on top, you know, in his last game at home for Duke, and they lost to North Carolina. And after the game, Mike Krzyzewski looked very unhappy. Fans were applauding him as he said, that didn't go the way we wanted, we're sorry, or this or that. And he goes, no, no, stop. Be quiet for a second, just listen. He goes, we're not done yet. And he walks off, and a lot of people took that for granted. A lot of people laughed at that moment and said, okay, this is just a cheesy moment for Coach K to kind of have this, like, Michael Jordan calling his shot, we're going to make this improbable run. But then it happens. It's like, so what are you hating on? The fact that he can win, the fact that he says he's going to win, and then follows up with it? I get he's not out on the court, but coaches mean something to sports, don't they? I don't know how you can hate Mike Krzyzewski. I get that, you know, he's not perfect. He's not as well-rounded as people would like him to be. But nobody really is. You know, drop the ego, drop the fact that he's beaten your team, drop the fact that he's won multiple national championships. Guy is one of the best coaches to ever do it, especially at this level. Just respect it. Appreciate it for what it is and while it's here. This is the last run of his career, and then he's going to ride off into the sunset. You know, we're seeing this switch, this this era of classic coaches stepping away from their programs and retiring and spending time with their family. Mike Krzyzewski's going to do it. Roy Williams just did it for North Carolina. He stepped away last year. 
How awesome would this be to see if both of them retired the same year and they did it in the final four? You know, one of these classic careers has to end. What an awesome stipulation that would be. But no, no one wants to respect it. Everybody just wants to hate Mike Krzyzewski. Everyone just wants to hate the winner in the room for whatever reason. I say put the ego aside, put your bias aside, and just respect great coaching, great talent, or just a great sports entity, a great winner while he's here before he moves away into the next phase of his life. Just appreciate what you have now. Don't sit here, spend time hating it. To quote Will Smith, love is the answer. <laughs> uh, that's what Will Smith said after, you know, if you if you were with us when we first started the today's podcast, talking about the whole Will Smith-Chris Rock thing. Ten minutes after Will Smith just slaps Chris Rock across the face on live TV, he accepts his speech and, you know, starts breaking down crying, talking about how I have to spread love and positivity or this or that or whatever. So I guess that's what I'm trying to say to you. Tony G Nation is don't hate Mike Krzyzewski while he's here. If you wanna, if you wanna, you know, have a bad taste in your mouth because of what he did to your team, you know, if you wanna have that sort of sourness because your team didn't win, I get it. That's sports, but don't hate it. You know, enjoy him while he's here before he moves on. Speaking of moving on, how good am I at transitions, right? Segment number three. The 2024 NFL draft location will not be in Green Bay, Wisconsin. But that's not the worst thing in the world right now. I'll explain that in a moment. The 2024 NFL draft location will be in Detroit, Michigan. Reports came out yesterday from ESPN's Adam Schefter. That's at least where I saw it. That the NFL has went with Detroit, Michigan. Ford Field down in Detroit at home of the Lions to host the 2024 NFL draft. Something they've been doing Ever since, I think they did it in New York every year, and then contract things came up and kind of got weird, so they went to Nashville for a couple of years, and now they're kind of bouncing around, trying to find a home, maybe just doing like the Super Bowl thing where they go um, every year and, and go to a new place every year and just kind of find a home for the NFL draft for that particular season. 2024 is going to be in Detroit. I'm not going to talk about Detroit in this discussion. I think it'll be a good draft location. I think... You know, that's a team that loves their football organization of the Detroit Lions, even though they haven't had much success. I don't mind. You know, I always kind of root. I I guess I shouldn't say root. I should be careful there. I always, I never really root against the Lions, you know, being from a Wisconsin market because it's like you root against Chicago and you root against Minnesota. But Detroit is like that little brother that never really, that never really finds his way towards winning or success, doesn't get, you know, all of the, the accolades that the other teams have gotten and give you a hard time. They're like the Lions. You know, you kind of want to see you, you, Matthew Stafford gets into the Super Bowl and you think, you know, this is almost like where the, this is like the Detroit's, the Detroit Lions baby. As I spit this out here, Matthew Stafford, the former quarterback, spent 12 years there, is finally going to go win a Super Bowl and does. And it's almost like that's Detroit's trophy because that's their quarterback that they, that was born and raised there but that everybody, even the Lions organization, knew Matthew Stafford probably wasn't going to win a championship there, seeing that the Lions never have won a Super Bowl. But it's it just goes to show that Detroit is that team that you kind of, you never really root for, but you don't really root against because it's like if you see something good happen to them because nothing good really ever happens to them and you go good for them. So that's kind of what this is about. I said I wasn't going to talk about Detroit, but here I am talking about Detroit. What is this show about Green Bay? 
This is the interesting part that I wanted to discuss here on today's show. Shows that Green Bay is confident it can hold these high numbers of travelers or these high, this high population of people migrating to Wisconsin for a big event, for this style of event. So what does that mean down the road? You know, Green Bay, like I said, is confident they can hold a large amount of people. The whole Title Town District thing where they added a hotel and they've added restaurants and they've added a football field for, for public practice. And it's not public practice. It's not like high school teams can go there. It's like you and me can go there and play catch out on a real turf football field sitting in the shadows of Lambeau Field, just across the street from Lambeau Field. So this whole Title Town District, you know, throwing millions and hundreds of millions of dollars into this property – I think Green Bay had a plan that they wanted to do that so they could host some of these events, you know, so that they could host the draft. I don't know where it would be. It would probably be inside the Resch Center, although that seems kind of – I don't think there's enough seats to hold it. Maybe it would be sort of an outdoors type of deal. On the turf of Town. maybe it would be in Lambeau. I don't know the exact specifics of the location of where they would do it. And obviously Green Bay has a plan or else they wouldn't have put a bid in for this. But it is something where – Green Bay knows they're a Packer town. They're a football town. You know, people here love the Packers. Everything stops on game day for the Packers, and everyone goes and, and, and watches the Packers, loves the Packers around this location. So with that, I think Green Bay and the Packers want to tap into that and bring national attention to the fact that Green Bay is a football town. That Green Bay isn't just this small product, this small market where it's just this stadium and neighboring that stadium is just houses. It's still kind of like that. You know, there's neighborhoods on the on the north and south side of Lambeau Field. But on the east and west side, it's like the Rest Center. Now it's the Rest Expo. It's the practice field, the Don Hudson Center. And it's on the other side, on, on that far side, it's Titletown. And there's all these sorts of things that Green Bay has the capacity to hold large amounts of people for bigger events. So what does that mean down the road? Does that mean that possibly, potentially, Green Bay is going to put a bid in for a Super Bowl, an event that has never been held in Green Bay, the oldest stadium in the NFL, third oldest in professional sports, behind Wrigley Field and and Fenway Park, somewhere that all football fans would love to be at for a draft or a Super Bowl, does this show that Green Bay has what it takes? And now, granted, you bring up weather, and of course, that's that's a factor. You know, it's very cold here in February. Snows a lot, sleets a lot. Temperature really doesn't know what it wants to do, if it wants to be below zero or above. And if it is above, it's just slightly above. So it's pretty cold, and I get that. You know, I understand that. That's probably why. But still, still, think about this here. A Super Bowl here... You maybe get some teams who you play it on the right day. It's maybe 25 degrees outside. Maybe that's a little generous, but I think that it would be a great location to host a Super Bowl. Weather aside, it's a great location to host a Super Bowl. And for college football, you know, it's where the Big Ten Championship is coming. So, you know, they're moving out of Lucas Oil Stadium and coming here to Green Bay. Just 15 minutes from Tony G Studios. So what does this show about Green Bay? Does it have that caliber to go toe-to-toe with some of the bigger markets of Minnesota or Chicago? You know, those neighboring big cities. Or maybe big cities around the world where Las Vegas is starting to really make their name heard. Los Angeles where they're building all these big stadiums. and It kind of shows that Green Bay is ready for this heavyweight fight. 
you know, these the holding these bigger events. They've added plenty of seats. They're over 77,000 seats in Lambeau Field, so they're ready to host some big events. Green Bay just spent a lot of money, like I said, hundreds of millions of dollars on the Titletown District and the Resch Expo and kind of building everything up around Lambeau Field that they're ready to start getting that back in revenue with some of these bigger events. So I wonder what will happen moving forward. I just wanted to talk about that here on the Tony G Show. and Interesting to see what the Green Bay will try to bid for next. Maybe the Arena Football League Championship. The Green Bay Blizzard play at the, at the Resch Center just across the street. They've had big-name concerts. You know, Billy Joel has come here. Kenny Chesney, I think. I'm not a big country music person, but they've had big-name concerts held at Lambeau Field. wonder what Green Bay will try to do next. Well, that'll do it for our show today. Just about 50 minutes long, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you, Tony G Nation. We missed Will, but he'll be back on Thursday. Thursday is the last day in March. Crazy. Thursday will be the 15th episode in Season 8. We're just cruising right along. I mean, we're over halfway there. What do you think about the season? We only got 10, 11 episodes left. Better enjoy them while they're here. Tony G Show. Again, follow us at, uh, at Tony G Nation on Twitter, Tony Giordano on Instagram. Go to TonyGNation.com for more of myself or the Tony G Show. So with that, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next Thursday. That'll do it for another episode. I'm Tony G, host of the Tony G Show.